Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Decided Heart Conversations. And I am, I'm got, I got googly feelings. I am like more than thrilled to have Monica Jane with us. She owns Unabashed Badassery, and she is a mentor, a coach, a speaker, a thought leader. A, is it permissionary? Um, I listened to previous talks, and she's changed my world, rocked my world already. And she's going to awaken us. Um, to understanding or owning our unique erotic language and how that directly deals with being our authentic self. And I have just a quick story, Monica, Jane, because I, again, like, thank you for being with us. Hillary and I, like, I, I'm a little nervous because Hillary and I were doing a hike and somehow got into this topic about, you know, we both have been married to our partners for, for a very, very long time. I married my high school sweetheart only partner I've ever had. And when it came down to sex, what we wanted, what we, how we communicated, we both were stumbled. We, we couldn't even say some of the words that we wanted to say, Hillary, right? <laughs> we were laughing at each other. Like, how can we not have a conversation about this with one another? Right, exactly. Like we're back in middle school. <laughs> and, then, and then in the middle of that conversation, we, I got frustrated. I think we shared this frustration. Why? What happened to us? Right. So, Anyways, we thought we we need help. We need help. I know many of us need help out here in the world. So Monica Jane, thank you so much for being with us. Well, it is, it's so, I love what we're doing here today because Decided Heart Conversations is all about the fact that we're in control. We have ownership. We can make a decision and making a decision about your sexuality and, and how you own that is, no, it's, it shouldn't be over here. It's a part of who we are. So Monica, Jane, what was it, what was your decided heart moment that brought you into being involved in this space and really helping others work through it? <laughs> she giggles. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, which one? Which one? <laughs> uh, I think I'll speak to probably the most pivotal moment. Um, my mom, was diagnosed of cancer in 2010. And I was her primary caregiver for 13 months. Uh, and she did go into remission, which was unheard of for stage four ovarian cancer. And then it came back mm -hmm. and they let us know that she didn't have long to live. And um, they said 60 to 90 days. And then all of a sudden, like three days later, it was apparent that her systems were shutting down and it was, it, it was time. And so we kind of scrambled to start asking her the questions and uh, recording, you know, how did you know dad was the one? What does it take to be a good partner, a good wife, a good mom? What would you want the world to know? Um, what's your favorite color? You know, all, all of the things we wanted to have, you know, on record. And I realized I was 28 at the time. So this was 10 years ago. And I, uh, realized that uh, I needed some questions answered about my own sexuality and eroticism, that my mom was going to die. And if I didn't ask her at 28, I would have a lot of years to live wondering. Well, background, my mom grew up Catholic. I grew up Catholic. By that time they had been through um, like Seventh-day Adventist and like a, a Calvary Chapel and a few different um, more open Christian organizations and just were really steeped in that. And so we had never talked about sex and her systems are set, shutting down and she's on her deathbed and I'm freaking out as a 28 year old, not gonna have my mommy anymore. And should I ask her or should I not? I don't want to mess with her dignity because she was already having a hard time not being able to like get up and go to the bathroom herself and, you know, embarrassed by that. So I decided uh, that I could ask the question. And if she said no, then I, I at least knew that I asked. But to spend the rest of my life wondering what would have happened if I had asked felt like too much suffering for me. And so that right there in and of itself is a, um, like a lesson in personal responsibility, boundaries and consent and trusting another person to take care of themselves. And so I asked and she took a deep breath and kind of looked around the room 
and looked back at me. Oh, actually, I forgot to say the question I asked. So I asked her, <laughs> I told her all that preamble and she goes, what is it? And I said, mom, have you ever had an orgasm? And then the deep breaths and the look around the room. And she goes, I don't know. And I don't know what I did, but I know what I said. I said, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> because I wanted her to answer the mystery of my, at that point in time, 10 years of penetrative sexual experiences and 14 years of fooling around. And that was the first and only conversation we ever had about sex. And it ended with her saying, if I had it to do over again, I would be more open and adventurous sexually. And so that right there was permission from my mom, which took about two years for me to finally give permission to myself and stop hiding like this and hiding behind books and reading stuff online and trying to figure it all out myself. And in two years from that moment, I started reaching out to mentors and uh, practitioners of sexuality, eroticism, and pleasure. And here I am today helping people do the same. So first, I have to say how, I mean, I'm so sorry for your loss. It is losing a mom, I can't imagine. Um, we, we need our moms and yet there are these secrets mm -hmm. that you are so courageous to ask the question to begin with because I, I don't know that everybody would really feel courageous enough to ask that because there is something in our heads and, and I'm, I was writing down notes as you were saying it, you know, the consent, the trust, the dignity, all of those words, they're so big and where the boundaries are with that. But specifically, something that's sticking out to me, when you talk about permission, she gave you permission in some sense. Why do we feel like we need permission, Monica Jane? Like what, like what, for real though, like what is that? Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing in reverence, not irreverence to the question. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's like a sweet laughter because Our eroticism comes from the deepest place within us. It comes from our innocence. Mm. And it comes from a place of not knowing. It comes from a place of curiosity and wonder. True, authentic eroticism. Now, we know all the ways that it's supposed to go. We have been told by our girlfriends, we've been told by TV, we've been told by our male friends, we've been told by uh, music videos, all the ways that it's supposed to go. And then we get not permission, we get the opposite of permission, the opposite of allow this erotic innocence, wonder and curiosity to flow and discover who you are. Don't do that. Don't be erotic. Don't be turned on. Don't have arousal. Oh, but by the way, if you do, it needs to look like this and it's going to be perfect. You're not going to have a hard time getting each other's clothes off. You're not going to have a hard time getting each other off because that is how it goes in everything that we see. And it's so confusing. And so like <laughs> what, what we receive mostly from society, culture, religion, and family, I call that scarf, society S, culture C, religion R, F, family, scarf. It's this, um, as we're growing up, we wrap around our necks, this like cozy scarf of, ooh, if I behave this way, if I do this, if I do that, I'm gonna be safe and warm and accepted. And uh, be, I'm being given permission to not wear promiscuous clothing. Yeah. I'm given permission to um, not sleep with lots of people. I'm given permission to not, and there's all of these nots. And so it's like, don't be this way, don't be that way, don't be this, be pleasing, be a martyr, be this, be that. And once we become adults and we don't have to depend on surviving under all of those prescriptions that were given 
and we can make our own life, we were never given, most of us, we're never given permission to discover who we are naturally and to not subscribe to the way sex goes, the way making out goes, the way dating goes, the way everything goes. So I believe we need permission because it doesn't happen growing up. So ultimately, the, the most important form of permission is not from the outside. It's from you to you. And sometimes it requires a trailblazer like my mom to say, if I had to do, if I had it to do over again, I'd be more open and adventurous sexually. That out external permission allowed me to give myself my own. And that's why I call myself a permissionary because I open these conversations. I open your curiosity. I open your wonder. I hold sacred your innocence so that you can uncover and discover your truths absent of all of these prescriptions of scarf, which we find out later turns into like a noose mm. on our authenticity, our vulnerability, and us being who we truly are. I think one of the most powerful things, I, I look to you, Monica Jane, because I, you've raised the question of permission for me. And the thing is, it's like, you know, I'm in my mid forties. I didn't, I didn't know that I had so many scarves. Maybe I thought it was like a light necklace, but I didn't know that it was, you, you, you grow up on the script and that you follow it. They, you know, you don't know that there's another side to the script given to you. I think about the, the um, permissions that, you know, my, my family has given to me. And when I follow it, it feels so good. It feels so right. It's validated. Um, and that becomes my truth. Now, why would I even challenge my truth ever until someone else, you know, I think Hillary and I, we kind of, we, our conversations, we kind of shake it up. We, we blur out our, our own truths. And then we say, oh my God, maybe it isn't with the capital T. What's going on there, Hillary? Why are we questioning these things? And for you, Monica Jane, um, the permission to myself, that's the first time I've ever asked myself, given me permission to say, where am I? I the, the, even using the word eroticism and erotic, that was just such a, don't even use that word, right? Um, and so it, it was one of those powerful things, like I didn't know what I didn't know. And it takes someone like you to help me give the permission to myself. Mm -hmm. And I want to say I wasn't always this way. The reason why I asked my mom that question is because I hadn't experienced what everyone else was talking about with regard to orgasm and climax. Mm -hmm. And so it required, like, you know, we talk about actionable steps on, on your podcast. And one of the steps that you can take is to put yourself around sex positive community, whether that be one mentor, one human, one person, or an entire community that gives you permission to realize your erotic potential and gives you sex education for pleasure and enjoyment. Here's another reason why we need permission. The sex ed that we get is either everything we weren't told, everything that was like so hush hush, that in and of itself is sex ed. Don't talk about sex. Be uncomfortable about it. Uh, squiggle in your seat and go like this when you're, when you're talking about it. And uh, the, the sex ed that schools offer it, and I want to commend the county that I live in. They did just uh, last year or the year before add consent and boundaries and other conversation. But basically sex ed up until now and um, currently in most places in the United States anyway, is <laughs> abstinence and STIs. Don't have sex. If you do, you're going to get these gross things on your genitals. Let us show you pictures of them. Yeah. And then you'll be an outcast to society and so gross and nobody will want anything to do with you. So that's the permission we're given to explore and discover and own and know our eroticism. So surround yourself with sex positive community, uh, that gives you permission to realize your erotic potential and gives you sex education for pleasure and enjoyment. Okay, so I have to ask, how do we even find that, <laughs> right? Like I'm sitting here and I'm like, 
I don't know. I mean, I've heard rumors about like purple rocks in your front yard or like, you know, giving the signal to people. I don't know. But like, how do you, how do you, how do you start? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, it's very important that when you start, you find safer communities. And I don't say safe because um, we kind of, it's in the culture now to stop saying safe communities because you can't guarantee safety. And what's safe for each of you might be different than what's safe for me. And so safer space communities that talk about um, boundaries and consent and confidentiality and set um, what's called a container uh, for for this conversation, basically it's like, here's the code of conduct or the container that we create to hold your erotic innocence. And so you really wanna make sure that you're um, finding spaces that are that way. Um, honestly, I felt the same way, Hillary, like, where is this? And the first container that I found, I thought it was like the only one. And so I stayed codependent on that for the first, uh, I don't know, five years of my exploration in this. And uh, then I realized, oh my gosh, there's so, so many communities. And it is, it is, I don't want to like scare people away from finding communities, but at the same time, I feel like it's my duty to say, yeah, power dynamics is real in sex and sexuality. And, um, it, they, they play out so easily because we, we become drunk with um, chemicals that are released when we are in pleasure or um, enjoyment or excitement. And I'm not saying like you have to go have orgies. You're in a class learning about pleasure and, and we like do a closed eye meditation. You're going you're gonna to get those, that chemistry moving in your head and then you become more open and you can say yes to things that are actually a no for you. And then you have consent, regret, or shame afterward. And so you really want to make sure you're coming to someone like me that is aware of all of these things so that I can uh, do my due diligence to keep you um, safer from, from these sort of situations. And so... I mean, it depends on the type of community that you want. Like if, if you want to, you know, explore and have, you know, hands-on stuff, then you need to look for those kind of communities. If you're looking for um, an educational community to um, take it back to your own home, you go to those. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I hesitate to like name any specifically, so it might be frustrating for you that I'm being like general, um, but I don't, I don't really endorse any other than the one that I'm currently involved in. Um, and certain modalities have, have been under scrutiny big time, especially since the Me Too movement started and like the tantric community especially. And there just have been so many reveals of uh, power dynamics and taking advantage. And so be, do be careful. Um, but for instance, I can invite you into my community um, and that actually brings us to another actionable step. So would you like to do that? Yes, yeah, okay. go ahead and cool. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah, next actionable step, I'd love to, yes. Okay, awesome. So the, um, the, the one of the top steps, I don't know if it's like the first step um, <laughs> to owning your eroticism is to know your own body and what I mean by that is, um, like I said, we're all told like how sexuality goes. And there are people who discovered naturally and like were able to let their bodies lead the way as they moved into their first um, erotic moments. I was not one of those. I was told by my best friend, you start making out and then he's going to like start putting his hands inside of your shirt and then he's going to touch your boobs and then they'll start, you know, like you'll, you'll start feeling things happening in your pants and then he's going to, you know, bring his hands down and undo your pants and then he'll start touching you there. And then, you know, so I had like this play by play <laughs> and instead of, you know, discovering it naturally and, and finding, um, finding out what, was delicious for me. 
I just like went through all the prescribed moments. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I'm talking about this, like, as if it's the first time only like the first times when I allow myself to be in a space of not knowing anything. And as a sex coach, that's kind of like a tall order for me. (laughs) But when I, when I drop all of the things that I know and how I know things are supposed to go like different techniques or um, ways of being together, if we're practicing a tantric practice or if we're practicing a BDSM practice or something, you know, just letting all that go and letting the organic nature of our erotic intelligence meet each other, we discover things, you can discover things every single time you're with a partner, just as I do, when I stop knowing all the things. So back to knowing your body. Uh, It wasn't until I found this modality that I accepted my personal flavor of eroticism, how my body's wired to receive pleasure. Because what would happen is I would be in relationships um, for uh, longer term, like serial monogamy, like one after the other. And I would have fun sexuality for the first three months to like nine months. And then it would turn sexless for the rest of the two to five year relationships. (laughs) And what I found out is the way that I'm wired for turn on and arousal and pleasure is that I am what's called a shape shifter, which means I can be a chameleon and match anybody's eroticism that I'm with. However, if I'm only doing that and not honoring what I need and asking for that and getting that, I shut off. So have any of you who are listening or either of you here now, um, just all of a sudden not been interested. (laughs) Like things are going fine. And then all of a sudden your libido's gone. You don't want anything to do with it. It's not pleasing. Your, your biochemistry isn't working. Like you're not lubricating. You're not engorging. You're just like, I'm broken. What happened? Well, it's, and it's not, it's, it's abrupt for me. Like a, it'll just be like, like abrupt. And then I would, I would kind of think about like, huh, oh, maybe I'm distressed or it's something emotional. I don't know. And then I walk away from the whole thing, like not, not figuring it out what that button was. Mm -hmm. I just kind of blamed it on some kind of external factor. And I walked away and I said, well, we'll try again again, you know, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And days, weeks, months, and years go by in uh, long-term relationships of giving up on intimacy. And basically it's, it's like the love languages. Are you familiar with the love languages? Mm -hmm. If you're not loved in the language that like, if I, if I like acts of service, but you're always giving me words of affirmation, they'll be nice, but I don't receive love through words of affirmation. I need you to do things for me to know that I'm loved. So just like that with eroticism, if you, um, so I was following what you see on TV, which is called sexual or sensual. There's, there's a couple of things that you see in movies. The sensual um, arousal type is like romance, candlelight dinners, um, you know, swans in the lake going on a cute boat ride with and being serenaded and stuff like this. These are things that feed and nourish the sensual eroticism. And then the, the, and then all of a sudden it's like they get into the bedroom and it's like rip each other's clothes off and go for it. And that is sexual. And so I said that I'm a shapeshifter. So there's, there's four other ones beside the shapeshifter. We said sexual, sensual. Well, what about these other two? Because all that's represented in media are these two. And so if these aren't your primary, or if you're not a shapeshifter and can kind of do everything, you're going to feel like you're broken in our society and there's something wrong with you because you don't do sexuality right. And beyond that, it's genderfied. Sensuality is for women Mm -hmm. and sexuality is for men. Men just want naked bodies and penetration and to ejaculate. Mm 
and women want romance and roses and music and na na na. I don't want that. So I thought I was broken. I'm not, I'm not essential in the classic way you see in the movies. And so I was like, men would do those things for me and get so frustrated because they were trying so hard and doing all the things they saw that they were prescribed, given permission for, and it wasn't working. And then, um, so the other two, do we want to know the other two? Yeah. Of course we do. <laughs> We're not leaving until we have all four. <laughs> so the other two are um, energetic. We'll go one by one. So energetics are turned on by space, anticipation, and tease. So if you're coming forward and you're really strong with your erotic energy and you're going for it in the sexual, an energetic is going to freeze or freeze and just let it happen and not enjoy it or like freak out and run away um, because they need space, anticipation, tease, eye gazing energetic connection and you can hear how my voice and my uh, body language are changing so you can speak these they're called the erotic blueprints and a person named Jaya came up with them after 20 or 25 years of having her hands on and inside of bodies (laughs) to to understand people's eroticism and help them heal from ejaculatory uh, control issues or um, erectile management problems where, you know, people aren't staying the way they want with their erection. Um, And notice my vocabulary there. I'm not saying erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. because again, our words are so important. And if I'm telling you you're dysfunctional, what is that going to do? But uh, erectile management issues or erectile management opportunities. So anyway, she she had her hands on and in all of these bodies for 20 or 25 years and then started realizing there's these trends. Not every human, not every vulva-bodied person, vulva, if you don't know, is the outside of your vagina area. Um, Not every vulva-bodied person who lost their libido was there one way to get them in, you know, interested and rejuvenated back into their eroticism. It took different ways for different people. Not every penis bodied person who came in and had erectile issues was there one, like give them the best blowjob ever and they'll stay hard forever. No, if he's sexual, yes. If he's sensual, no. If he's energetic, no. And so the fourth, the, well, I guess it's the fifth one by now, because we already said shapeshifter. Uh, the fifth one is kinky. What do you think of when I say kinky? What comes to mind? Eyes Good wide thing. shut. <laughs> That's where I went. <laughs> Toys and tools. Toys <laughs> and tools. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, fun. So kinky um, a lot of people, when, when we say that, they think of like 50 shades of gray and like BDSM. Mm. And yes, that could be a turn on for you. Um, but is it a turn on that has taboo? So if, if people found out that you're into BDSM, would you worry that you would be judged or rejected for it? And is the turn on doing something that if you got caught, it it could be, you know, that you're judged by others or rejected by others for doing it. So kinky is anything that turns you on that is taboo for you. So for some people, BDSM is sensual. It's all about sensation and touch. And the turn on isn't that it's taboo. It's the sensation oh. or the power dynamics. And then there, that, that way it becomes like dark energetic, the, the power dynamic and the like, mm. it's dark energetic for them. If it's taboo for you, then you're wired as a kinky blueprint. So kinky 
could be anything outside a missionary position. Hmm. Like if all you ever do is missionary and you're like, if, oh, oh my goodness, I'm so naughty. If I do doggy style, <laughs> then, then that's like a kinky blueprint. So if you're, if you're noticing these things for yourself or um, like uh, public displays of affection, if that's like and taboo for you, then maybe you're a kinky blueprint. And so what you can do to embrace your eroticism and know your body more is um, think of all the other things that would turn you on to do that would be naughty and forbidden. And like, what if you got caught? So there are five, not two ways that people are wired for turn on arousal and to experience pleasure um, to their erotic potential. And so I give you all permission to realize these five erotic blueprints, not only for your own body, but if we want to give a bonus, like bonus to this action step for your partner's body too, so that you can honor each other. So if you want to find yours out, there's a quiz link in the description for the erotic blueprints quiz or the arousal typing quiz. And the thing about that is you'll probably approach it with your brain, which is why your eroticism isn't as fulfilling as you want it to be in the first place, because this is not erotic. This from here down is our eroticism. <laughs> And I mean, that's not totally true because like I'm a sapiosexual, which means I'm turned on by um, intellectual conversation um, and like deep, deep conversation. So what I mean is like that inside brain mind thing when I go like this. Um, and so when you, when you do the quiz, I'm gonna encourage you to really let, I'm gonna encourage you to be kinky probably, really allow every single option to be felt by your body. Don't rush through it with your head. Close your eyes after you read letter A and feel like, what would my body, how would my body respond to that? And turn on looks like leaning in, lighting up, expansion, wiggling your tail, blushing in your cheeks, maybe a little and those are some clues that like A is the answer for you. And then you read B and you close your eyes and you imagine B happening. And see, fantasy might be kinky for you because, you know, maybe it's like, like it feels like infidelity if you, you fantasize. So if that's like an agreement you have with your partner, like we're not allowed to fantasize, um, you could fantasize about you and your partner. In it, when you do this, or you can have a negotiation and conversation. Like, I know we have this boundary. I really want to discover stuff about my sexuality. I'm going to take this quiz. Would it be okay for just this quiz for me to fantasize about all this stuff? So always checking in with the safer container that you probably have unconsciously created by unspoken agreements. <laughs> so making a container for your relationship is something I don't have on our list to talk about today, but if you want to have me back, we can talk about all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So anyway, B, and you feel into it and maybe it's turn off and turn off feels like contraction. Your face might grimace. Um, you might actually like have a uh, push away, like feeling sensation in your body or repulsion. Um, or like, it's just like a flat line. It can be, you know, strong or less strong, the turn on as well. So as you read each option, really feel it with your body instead of, you know, like, oh, boom, boom, which, which do I have permission to say that I like? Because what happens when I work with clients is they take the quiz. Um, it's part of my application. It's a requirement. You take the quiz before, and then we work together. And most of the time, what we discover about you is totally different than, than what your brain told you when you took the quiz. I think, you know, the, the first step, for, I'm, a, I'm a producer and I like steps, right? I like sequence of events. And I think for me, first is, you know, that internal permission and maybe the realization like, oh my God, what, I have, what have I denied myself all this time, right? So it's just all of that. And then like the permission of exploring and then it's exciting to know that, wait, there are five 
ooh, which one, which one am I like? And, and then it's like, but how do I even know that? And I love this quiz because, and I just love the instruction too, because it's like savor in it. Because mm -hmm. as a producer, I like to just kind of get it done and be like, check, 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 check. You know, I'm a good student. So, you know, with this, with this quiz, it's like you're giving us like, give yourself the time. Like, this is a great first step and savor in those emotions and those reactions that your body is telling you. Mm -hmm. um, so I thank you for that because yeah. I don't know where to go next. And this is where I'm going to go next. Mm -hmm. There's another aspect to it, which is you might feel repulsion, but it's from scarf. Mm. It's because religion told you that anal sex is gross. And that's one of the anal sex isn't for procreation. Therefore, you should not like it. Mm -hmm. So it can be extremely therapeutic experience to you might have that revulsion or repulsion at first and like sit with it and say, whose is this? Wow. Where did I, did I learn this? Or is this my actual wiring? Which goes to the last step that we haven't talked about yet. We're just saying in like pros today. I really think that it's so important to I'm sitting with this and, and we, we definitely need to have you back because I think the important next step as you're talking about all of this, you know, I, I, I hope people, including myself, you know, go on, get to know yourself better, give yourself permission to do that. Um, how do you have that conversation with your partner is, so I think that, like I said, the, the, the next, next time we have you back, how do you even approach that? Because I think, and this maybe leads into the next thing, our beliefs about, what we have in really, really checking those out is the fact that it's almost like there's a defensiveness in that we're doing something. If we bring it up, if we're not currently happy, if we're, there's something wrong with us or there's something wrong with our, our partner, or we're going to upset someone or there, there's all of these beliefs and these feelings tied up in, um, I feel like shame is the word that keeps coming to me. You know, you're ashamed. I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not, instead of, instead of owning it. I, re I remember one time hearing someone say, you know, you are responsible for your own orgasm. And I remember going like, wait, I thought it was the other person's hold on. <laughs> So does that sort of segue us into what you were going to be talking about next? Yeah, definitely. All of the beliefs. Um, <laughs> I, um, I don't know why I'm so giggly today because it might sound irreverent because I'm like laughing about shame, um, which is not, you know, like when you're feeling it, it doesn't feel good to have somebody laugh at you about it. Um, but I'm not laughing at you. I promise it's reverent, jubilant, yeah. joy of your discovery that like, wait, is this shame? <sighs> and the reason why, side, right? There's another, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm like, I, when, every time you're doing that, I actually see the tenderness of like, like, oh, there's a better place for you. Like that's, that's how I'm taking it as you do it. So sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it comes from being on the other side. Uh, and yes, it, it, and I'm not completely on the other side. I still have shame. My business is unabashed badassery because I didn't want to say unashamed. Like why put the word that we're, we're not being in the title. So unabashed is the same thing as unashamed. It's a synonym. And the badassery part is because of scarf, we believe that it is badass when a person doesn't do these things and instead just bees themselves. Is bees a word? They just be themselves. Yeah. And they are unabashed and a badass because they're making their own rules. And so one of my company brand values is conscious rebellion it's not about like saying screw everybody da, 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 and being disrespectful it's about consciously 
choosing, becoming conscious. Because we robot zombie through life because of scarf. I robot zombied through the corporate America ladder. I went to college because that's what you do after high school. I bought a home because by like owning a home is a status symbol that you're successful. I bought new cars because that again means I'm successful all because of scarf. I didn't want that three car garage, three bedroom with a den, great room plan home. I didn't, I didn't want that, but robot zombie Monica Jane wanted it. Go to Monica Jane. It's with a Y J A Y N E Monica Jane.com slash about <laughs> and scroll down a little bit until you come to this like really funny picture of me in the midst of my corporate America career when I was a real estate agent and then look at me now. And it is like this most stark example of unconscious living. Mm. And so shame is created by scarf telling you you're not good enough and and everything that's wrong with you. Um, Society through the media tells us that if we have a pimple, there's something wrong with us and we should hide our face or cover it up. And then we feel ashamed. Like I got one right here a few days ago and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing a video podcast. Oh, I can't have a zit hanging off my lip. People are gonna be watching me talk. And then I was like, that scar. Mm -hmm. I'm okay if I have a zit, I'm a human. My period's coming and zits happen when that's the case. So look at my zit, which you can't really see because of my lipstick, but (laughs) Um, so I am conscious now more often than definitely before, Um, more often than not, I become conscious. Like um, I like things that are considered little girl things. And by the way, I'm genderqueer and I go by they, them, and she, her pronouns. And um, little girl things is a bunch of bull crap that we could have an episode on gender um, (laughs) and really blow people's paradigms. Um, And I feel like I have to hide it. I'm looking over like, here's my little unicorn and here's my cute little sign that I have sitting on my desk. It says dream big. And I just have shame about um, people knowing And I also have like clothing items and I already look young. I'm 38 and it is so, it's always been a thing for me to um, seem reputable enough or credible enough because I look so young. It's like, what does she know about relationships and sexuality? She's 22. And so then I like little, little girl looking things. I like to wear them. And then I criticize and shame myself for it. Like, what are you doing to yourself? You can't have a career. They won't take you seriously. I just made a post about this on my Facebook page. If people want to read it, it's a picture of all of those things. So scarf strangles us with shame because it tells us all of the ways to be acceptable. Mm -hmm. And if you are not that naturally and you let yourself be consciously aware of that, because our social nervous system tells us we must belong or we die, which used to be very true and it still is, um, but not to the same like physical degree that it used to be. We were, we were like, ah, I have to belong. And so we shame ourselves into submission. <laughs> um, so thank you for bringing up shame. It's, it is like the number one theme with clients, with themselves, between each other as couples and um, like even unconsciously speaking to their children uh, and creating shame for their children and they, they don't even realize it. So that's what yeah. I wanted. Oh, I'm sorry, Monica Jane. I, I wanted to share that. I think because of this, this exact conversation, the responsibility that I have as a parent, as an adult raising a young person, 
and, and following the script to me, don't see it, don't hear it, close your eyes, you know, like you can't watch these things, you can't see these things, everything's just taboo. It was so abrupt now how I watch shows or you know media with, with my child. And I'm consciously taking the courage to say, She's, she, she can see, she can listen, she, I'm right here. And then, okay, drastic, we're watching Jane the Virgin together. Mm-hmm. And she, my, my daughter's 12. And um, the, the prior me would be like, oh no, you cannot watch, don't. There's just too much content there that I don't, I'm not ready to explain, it's tough. Our experience, like this whole season or episode, it's like a hundred episodes, is such a, yeah, it's just such a great, platform for my daughter and I and then I paused it this was like last week and I looked at her and I said I want I want to ask for you what do you think what is it to you is sex good or bad and she's just looking at me and she's like well I know it was pretty abrupt and I thought well maybe that's not the right question but whatever I was going with my heart but I was making a decided heart moment I said just with what you know you know how do you see sex and so we got into this great conversation and then I was reflecting like, I felt like I have shadowed you a lot where I ask you to close your eyes and don't hear and don't see. And I just wanna make sure that I'm giving you, you know, that permission to look at sexuality and your identity. So it's all of it. And what an amazing outlet and, and open door to this path mm-hmm. that we can walk along together. And then I'm constantly reworking, you know, to, to make sure that shame is not you know, I'm not going to be 100%, but to make sure that I'm feeling responsible for that. Well, you're conscious of it. I'm now. conscious of it. And I just want to commend you for that, like opening the discussion, because what you just did there is gave your daughter permission to have her own opinion about sex. And if her response you could see was programmed in any way, or where did you learn that? Or how, how did you come to that conclusion? Who, who told you that? Or where, you know, where did you hear it? Um, these are the types of conversations and it's never too late. It's never too late. Like I was 32, I think when I really started cracking the surface of this and transforming and, and getting on the other side of it. And so, um, I just, I'm so happy. I'm like, (laughs) that you did that. And I think you probably, maybe you read my about story on my website that my mom would cover my eyes and my ears if it got too noisy when we were watching movies and TV shows where sex was happening. So what that wired my body to do was turn off, turn on immediately. Like turn on and arousal is dangerous. It makes my mom uncomfortable. It's not safe. Stop. And that's what was happening when I was having uh, penetrative or sexual experiences and and not experiencing my orgasm. Mm -hmm. My brain, my body physiologically was doing all the contractions and all of the things. And then my brain wouldn't let me acknowledge it. It wasn't translating it. So I, I got onto the other side of that where my brain now lets me feel what's happening in my body. That's how strong these powers of scarf suggestion, like you're the F in there. So you can give positive prescriptions um, and prescriptions that allow people to understand themselves and think for themselves, or you can tell them, indoctrinate them in the way things are. And so becoming aware of all the ways that you've been indoctrinated into this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And you haven't let your erotic innocence, your eros, your life force, your vitality meet life and decide for yourself. So that is uh, the last actionable step is becoming conscious of the unconscious beliefs you have about sex, sex acts, intimacy, eroticism, sexuality, and then healing these once you're aware And I actually have a process called authentic evolution. And that's in the links as well. And we're giving you, your listeners, 15% off with the code. Mm -hmm. And um, authentic evolution is a seven-step process that I came to after 20 years of doing this kind of work. And authentic evolution is for all areas of life, not just your sexuality. But having listened to this episode, and if you're inspired to do authentic evolution, I would invite you to to look at what did SCARF teach you 
about sex, sex acts, sexuality, intimacy, eroticism, and all of these things. And it takes you through these seven very specific and handheld steps to come, you start by looking back to move forward. So you look back at SCARF, all the things you were taught. And the final step is putting to action your new beliefs, your conscious subscriptions, your conscious beliefs. Because I believe that the number one reason why we don't have what we want is because we don't know. Mm -hmm. And all the noise of SCARF makes it very difficult. So this 15% um, off $97. So it's a very inexpensive step to change your life dramatically. And if you want to come into culture and community and sex positivity, uh, they didn't teach me that. Playhouse, I love the name. <laughs> they didn't teach me that. Playhouse is available for enrollment. And we go through four, I'm, I've got a lot of fours, 14 <laughs> 14 areas of mastery in your life. And one of them is evolutionary sexuality. Oh. And then other ones are consent and boundaries, communication, conflict resolution, creating safety and relationships. There's a whole list on the, the link. Um, it'll say what you'll learn. And there's 14 boxes with descriptions of each of these areas of mastery. Mm -hmm. And I'd be happy to provide you the safer space that you need to continue getting permission and then giving yourself permission, which is the most important part to realize your erotic potential, to tap into your erotic innocence and allow it to express freely absent of the <laughs> scarf. <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Monica Jane, for joining us and for giving us these resources because I love how actionable they are. We are going to put them all the links up. I, we're going to tell all our listeners about it because it is so powerful. Are we fully ourselves if we haven't owned this part of ourselves, if there's still a part of ourselves that we don't know? So I love that it starts with knowing yourself and that you guide us through that process, through exploring those beliefs and saying, who says? you know, and then, and ultimately finding a community that allows the safety to explore it. So thank you so much. We will have you back. Don't you think, Sonia? Oh gosh, it's like, uh, it's already over. I want to say thank you, Hillary, for, um, for the reflection that these are actionable and practical for you. Another, I mentioned Conscious Rebellion is a company value of mine, a core brand value. Practical life skills is another core brand value. And I just want to read what I have there. We don't deliver theory. We deliver practical life skills, education. You can take action on today. Awesome. Yes. Yes. I love it. You're, you're our vibe, which is what can we do? How can we be decided? And, and with that, I want to thank our listeners and our viewers for joining another episode of Decided Heart. Both Sonia and I are wishing everybody happy holidays, as well as Monica Jane, happy holidays, happy new year. It's going to be a joyful 2021. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We have a few surprises and some great episodes, not to mention having Monica Jane hopefully join us again in 2021. So let's all make a promise and give ourselves permission to be badasses. I love it. Yeah. <laughs>